Hello, free thinkers. I'm Mickey Z, and I welcome you to Post Woke, the New York City-based podcast where we practice intellectual self-defense. Welcome to episode number 12. The topic is, generally speaking, government overreach. And appropriately, as I record this introduction, the U.S. Supreme Court may be deciding the legality of President Biden's federal vaccine mandate. It is with that in mind that I open with some thoughts on the topic of government overreach. For example, what happened post 9-11. And a little later in the show, my Uncle Butch will join me to broaden the conversation. We'll get started with all of that right after this very short break. The squashing of civil liberties in the land of the free is hardly a new idea. For just a few of the endless examples, one may recall the Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act of 1996, or the Espionage and Sedition Act of 1917, or the National Defense Authorization Act of 2011, or the FBI Counterintelligence Program, aka COINTELPRO. Technically, it ran from 1956 to 1971, but it's still going. Also, the interned Japanese Americans in the 1940s surely would have something to say about FDR's concept of freedom. Doling out and taking away rights is essentially a side quest for America's power elite. And a common theme of these power grabs involves exploiting a crisis. Two decades ago, the Bush-Cheney administration used the guise of emergency to reshape this country's psyche. Steps that seem like temporary precautions are now deemed permanent and normal. Sound familiar? These included at the time a wide range of changes like the Transportation Security Administration, three-ounce bottles of liquid, full-body scanners, a no-fly list, and the completely laughable concept of taking off your shoes before going through security although that will be rendered obsolete once they put in the foot scanners. All the above, and so much more, would have once seemed like details from a bad futuristic novel. Today, they exist without comment. The powers that shouldn't be have effectively conditioned us to accept whatever is opposed, imposed upon us. And post 9-11, that included something called the uniting and strengthening America by providing appropriate tools required to intercept and obstruct terrorism act, aka the USA Patriot Act. This totalitarian salvo includes what the ACL at the time called a host of, a, of alarming and unconstitutional anti-speech provisions. Funny how much the AC, not funny how much the ACLU has changed since then. The Patriot Act was also condemned by three state legislators and over 250 municipalities across the United States. Adele Welty declared the Patriot Act to be a serious threat to the exercise of our constitutional rights. Welty's son, Timothy, lost his life in the World Trade Center collapse, one of the 343 firefighters who died that day. She later testified before the New York City Council and said, in part, the Patriot Act undermines our Fourth Amendment right to privacy and expands the ability of the government to use wiretaps and computer surveillance and to look at confidential medical, financial, business, and educational 
records, close quote. Such talks of, right, of rights and overreach sound almost quaint to today's ears. Like the internet or cell phones, the U.S. Patriot Act is just something that's passed down to new generations without examination, thought, or even conscious awareness. And that's part of what made it so easy for the elites to use the COVID-19 pandemic to garner even more control and wealth. In response to the events of September 11, 2001, the Emergency Use Authorization, EUA, mechanism was created. The ostensible idea was to empower the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, to use the use of experimental but potentially life-saving products after a terrorist attack. However, the EUA designation was not put into effect until late 2020 for a little something called the COVID-19 vaccines. 20 years after its creation, we've come full circle to see the emergency use authorization of an experimental gene therapy being forced upon a pretty much a compliant population. If you scare enough people for a long enough time, they'll believe anything. They'll even trust their abusers to help them. It's trauma bonding on a macro scale. And that's how they got us to line up in our socks for a flight. One alleged shoe bomber event happens, a frenzy is created, and Americans happily surrender rights for the illusion of safety. Today, today's thugs in charge use a faulty PCR test to inflate COVID numbers, impose useless and psychologically damaging mitigation tactics like masks and distancing, and then tell us how lucky we are that they're here to save us with a magic shot. But if the shot doesn't work or causes injury, you can't sue them. Here in New York City, ground zero for 9-11, a vaccine mandate was imposed almost 20 years to the day. As a result, unvaccinated people over the age of five cannot attend movies, work out at gyms, visit museums, or dine in restaurants. It's to protect everyone, of course. To question this de decree, they tell us, is to expose yourself as a potential domestic terrorist. This type of scare tactic is designed to get your friends and neighbors to turn on you, to protect everyone, of course. So make no mistake, there is a direct line through all the examples I gave during this little rant. There is a direct line from the anti-anarchist Palmer raids to the smashing of labor unions to the Red Scare to the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act of 1978, FISA. And there is that direct line continues to today's demonization of anyone who dares to question the patently insane COVID narrative. And there's also a direct line running through all those helpful citizens who will gleefully support the repressive tactics imposed by a cabal of corporate and state actors. Do you want more experimental drugs, more invasive technologies, more surveillance, more artificial intelligence, and more transhumanism? Do you want to continue lining up to be scanned, injected, genetically modified, and quote-unquote enhance? Of course you don't. Of course you don't. So therefore, join us because it is up to us everyday people to break free of the programming, to make this narrative crumble. There is only one path away from a dystopian future vision, and that is to embrace and practice intellectual self-defense and to enthusiastically and tirelessly share what you learn with as many people as possible. This is the future we can and must speak into existence. And on that note, I will be right back with my Uncle Butch. 
Hello, post-woke listeners. Mickey Z here, inviting you to get involved. You can find me at mickeyz.substack.com. You can get the exact spelling of that. It's in the show notes. But you can join my Substack at any time. You can subscribe for as little as $5 a month. And as a paid subscriber, you will get all the new podcasts earlier than anyone else. You will get all the articles I write, which is at least once a week. You'll have permission to comment on any and all posts that you choose. And also you'll be really supporting this growing project. I guarantee you that in 2022, Post Woke is going to grow. It's going to explode. And if you want to be a part of it, go to mickeyz.substack.com to subscribe now. Now, if $5 a month is not something you can afford now, you can subscribe for free. In that case, you will get emails every time there is a podcast or article available for you to read or listen to. And I would please urge you to do that if you can't afford to be a paid subscriber. And either way, whether you choose to pay or not, I'm requesting that you share this content, that you let people know that this is a podcast you listen to, that you like, and that you want the other people to listen to. You want to share this message of intellectual self-defense. So I thank you in advance for all your support, and I look forward to interacting with you all throughout 2022. All right, we're back with Bernie Cullinan, a.k.a. Uncle Butch. Welcome back to Post Woke. Uh, it's great to be here uh, three times now. Yeah, <laughs> I, I almost feel like a celebrity. You know, <laughs> like yeah, you, you're you're getting me, and I promise I won't leave you for Joe Rogan. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. I mean, he, I'm sure he's he's already sweating that I'm catching up to him, but um, <clears throat> um, but yeah, so yeah, maybe we'll have to put you on payroll here or something. You're here so often. Um, well, leading up to this conversation, I opened up with some talk about government overreach and kind of touched on the concept of where it intersects with um, citizen overcompliance. And on that topic, I wanted to just tell the listeners a couple of, a couple of things that you have shared with me in um, 2021, leading right up to the end of 2021. One in particular, you you live in a senior community, and for quite some time, you and a a couple of other people ran a very uh, fun and successful uh, monthly movie club. But by 2021, the community uh, board or whatever um, imposed a mask mandate on that uh, gathering, which really put a damper on it. You have since phased out. And then far more recently, before this past Christmas, your church down there in Maryland imposed a voluntary mask mandate, which as far as I could tell, they haven't completely enforced, but we, we had a conversation about that being very frustrating. Now, since then in early January, your governor imposed a more broad mask mandate, but I wanted to just give you some space to talk about how it felt to, ha to, to have two things that you really enjoyed doing, running the movie club and going to mass every week, having that impacted by for lack for just to, to speak bluntly people caving in and 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 volunteering to impose restrictions anti-science restrictions on themselves well i got the impression that and it, it started last uh, summer in the middle of the summer where we were closed and then they decided to reopen and when they reopened they didn't have originally a mask mandate 
they uh, relied on people, social distancing, things like that. But then all of a sudden, at the beginning of August, they issued a mandate that said, this is the lodge where we live. Um, they issued a mandate that if you enter into the lodge, you step one foot in, no matter where you are, you have to uh, have a mask on. Now, we continued. We said, well, okay, then we'll, we'll do some movies. And we did, uh, myself and uh, another woman and uh, a, a guy who volunteered to help us. We did do that with the mask on. It was so uncomfortable. Uh, we had to get there earlier than the people. The movies started at 7 o'clock. Uh, we got there at about uh, 6.30. There already were people there. So we were masked from 6.30 until the end of the movie. Wow. And and uh, the movie started at 7, sometimes 10 after 7. If the movie was two hours, we were there till at least 9.30, you know, getting everything uh, cleaned up and everything turned off. And we look again to see if we were okay. And I couldn't wait to get out. Uh, even during the movie, I would the movie would be going and we, we would, it would be set. I would go outside with a can of soda or something and, and uh, just leave the, the, the auditorium where we were showing the movie for maybe 10, 15 minutes just to get some real air in my, my lungs, you know, sure. rather than the recircled air. And I, you know, I didn't want to disappoint the, the, the people there. So we did it. And, um, we did it until the end of November, and then we took a break for the Christmas season. And I had told everybody after that that uh, I, I couldn't do it anymore, that I was leaving it up to the other people who were who took over from the fellow that I t told you about. I don't know if the listeners know, but I was doing it for almost five years with uh, another fellow who was a wonderful guy. And he died of, I think, of a heart attack. But and this was last March, and I just it took the the wind out of my sails. It took I I was devastated uh, with his passing away, and with the mandates and everything. I have given up um, running the movies. I've get, I, I, it's now being controlled by the woman who enjoyed who joined us, and. It, is uh, now in charge. And all I've done now is turn it over to her. And I, I miss that experience, but you know, the, both things together, the passing of my friend who I started this with, and then the mandates that we have to wear a mask the entire time, which is almost three hours. And it's too much. It was too much. Sure. So yeah. now they're doing it. And then, uh, about uh, three weeks ago, uh, two weeks ago, right before Christmas, we got an email from the pastor of the church who said from now on, he, he was trying to be careful because it was one of those things where he wasn't sure whether there was a mandate for churches or not. So he decided to not take a chance and he issued a mandate of his own and said, okay, um, we're requiring everybody to wear a mask upon entering the church. So I did that. And then I even thought about it. I said, well, maybe I should just not go to church. And I I couldn't do that. So I decided, you know, I, I needed 
to be in church. I needed, I wanted to do it. So even though it was uncomfortable, um, that hour that I was in church for mass, um, it was a, a good hour, even though it wasn't good for me personally in terms of having to wear a mask. I didn't like that. Um, yeah. To update you a little further, there's stores and there's uh, uh, shops of, of different kinds that I've been to. And they assume when you walk in there, everybody in there has a mask. So when uh, I go to uh, the supermarket or, or just to a regular store, um, you know, other than a supermarket, I take my mask with me. And as I walk in, most of the time I see a sign or I notice that everybody in the, in the uh, establishment has a mask on. And when I notice everybody else, I, I guess I just assume and uh, that the requirement is there for me to put on my mask. So I'll put on my mask and I'll be a good little boy and obey all, even though I, I know it's stupid. But uh, uh, tonight, uh, just about an hour ago, I called the lady and invited her uh, to dinner on Thursday night. Uh, and she's the woman that used to run the movie club before Roger and I ran the movie club, my, my former partner who passed away. And um, I called her and she uh, regretfully said, I don't think I want to take a chance and go out with the uh, Omicron going around. And I didn't want to get into any kind of discussion with her on that. That was sure. her decision. She's an elderly lady. And it's, it's funny for me to say that because I'm an elderly man now, you know, <laughs> I'm going to be 79 in February next month, but we agreed that we do it some other time. But I, all the time I was listening to her, I was thinking, Oh my God, this is ironic that um, I happened to call a woman who I didn't know was, would have that kind of attitude, but she did, and I respected it. So we're not doing that. Marion and I are going out Thursday night, just the two of us, to this restaurant close by. It's a very nice one, and I, I'm sure I'm going to enjoy it. So, but, so but most other places, though, even if I go to, uh, you know, some kind of other store, you know, liquor store or get a six pack or something or whatever. And everybody's wearing a mask now all around me. It, it's I, well, I, I can commiserate because I'm in New York city where it is a badge of honor for people to wear at least one mask. I mean, I could walk down the street and pass dozens of people wearing two of them. Now at this moment, as of the moment of us recording this, there is a statewide ma indoor mask mandate in New York State of any indoor location that doesn't already have a vaccination mandate. Um, you're required to wear a mask, but there is no requirement to wear it outside and certainly no requirement to wear it in your homes. And again, I, I'm, I'm not going to judge that the woman that you mentioned, but I think um, she could be a launching off point of how how we are living through a time where like firstly masks don't work they don't stop the transmission of a virus and i will include um some links in the show notes of this episode for people to get this information we don't have to go into it in our conversation but this just after two years into this pandemic the powers that be or the powers that shouldn't be 
in some sense don't even have to impose mandates because people in general are so frightened and so heavily conditioned that they've just caved in and will volunteer to have more restrictions uh, imposed upon them and also volunteer to be sort of unpaid bouncers in enforcing these restrictions. And, and in the case of, say, like the church where you mentioned that prior to any state mandate in Maryland, the pastor imposes a mask mandate without any prompting from the officials. And to some degree, I guess that's just straight out fear because of um, what people see on the television. But on, on, it's very dangerous. And, and we've talked a little bit about this, so I'd like you to share with the listeners is some of the stuff you said to me about what it means to live in a country where the population, um, at least half the population, is so easily um, cowed into compliance to the point where they will then pressure others to comply and, 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 and to use your word, cave in. It's, it's actually embarrassing to I agree. Even to have to have that kind of situation, um, even before Omicron came in, and the Delta variant was uh, calming down and it was it was uh, smoothing out the curve. Um, people were still, and I, I saw them in the stores when there was no requirement to wear a mask in the store. I would go to the supermarket, and there were still people in the supermarket who wear who wore their masks. And I would, and I actually stopped a couple of them and I said, excuse me, why are you wearing your mask? And they would look at me and say, I, I feel safer this way, you know, and, and, and that's the, the standard answer that I got that nobody required them to wear a mask, but they didn't want to take a chance. And it, 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 it sort of got me uh, thinking that these people are, it, we're in a very, very sad situation. If they can be uh, coerced and kowtowed and 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 uh, made to think like that, then the government can make them think like that for any situation, for anything that comes up. We're already being controlled. Then, you know, I in, instead of people saying, "Well, I don't have to wear a mask. I'm not going to wear a mask." They're doing it voluntarily, so the government could tell them anything at all, and they would do it. Yeah, and and that it, is a very dangerous situation. I, I couldn't agree more. And and no nobody is being encouraged. In fact, quite the opposite. They're being discouraged from asking questions. It's it's because the media has done such an and the government has done such an excellent job in demonizing anyone who asks questions because that person either must be a conspiracy theorist or someone who's anti-science or anti-vax and these are all considered really really um harmful insults that people will avoid at all costs so they will the way to avoid them is to avoid asking questions so i don't begrudge anyone um, looking out for their safety, um, although there are more than a few quotes about trading your safety, um, trading your freedom for the illusion of safety, and, and there's a long history of that in this country. But what's frustrating is that you, it's very difficult to even communicate with people asking questions about the efficacy, like the simple fact 
is, is there any efficacy to wearing a mask or a cloth covering to stop the transmission of a virus? People will just mock you though. I mean, I hear it. People say to me, oh, when did you get your epidemiology degree? And I'm just like, no, it's just, it, it's a Google search away. It's actually not very complicated at all. And yet, as you said, they just kowtow and cave in. And it reminds me a little bit about like, like, um, after 9-11, which I touched on earlier in the podcast, when they would into they would send reporters to the airports and there would be these long lines at the security and they would ask people what they think. And almost to a person, they would say, Well, it's really frustrating and I'm I might miss my flight and it's very I gotta get here two hours early, but if it keeps us safe, hey, I'm all for it. And they sort of it was almost like a trial run after 9-11, which empowered them to do so much more now. And it's it I couldn't agree with you more when you said that it's embarrassing. It's it's embarrassing to be a part of a population that is has is like allergic to even asking questions. And let me just throw this in. I read an article uh, online by a former head of Planned Parenthood, Dr. Uh, Laura Wen, W E N. And she made a statement that I, I read it and I, I said, oh, my God, this is interesting. She said the most people are wearing masks that are nothing more than facial decorations. Okay. Yes. Because they're totally ineffective. The only mask, if, if a mask works, the only mask that is, has any uh, uh, reputation for being halfway good would be the KN95 which is the one I'm wearing when I have to go into these stores or church or movie or anything. So um, I, I don't know who knows that, but it's almost like maybe I should keep that article and, you know, um, laminate it and keep it around <laughs> my neck or something. Yeah. And I can show people, look, this is a doctor, Dr. Laura Wynn. And she said, what you're wearing is worthless. Yeah, it's. I could argue it's beyond worthless because you can make some points about trapping um, bacteria and so on inside of it, but it also it creates this climate of compliancy, which which um, is more in is in my view way more frightening than any Omicron. And just just to touch on the masks, it. I if if someone is wearing a mask, and I'm sure. You've witnessed this when they're wearing a mask and you notice that their glasses get fogged. It that should be the first sign that air is getting in and out. And yet people just make jokes about it. And I just today I saw a video of a of a TV reporter. He he went outside into the cold weather and he 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 breathed and you saw his you could see his breath, of course, because it's cold air. And then he put on one mask, <clears throat> like a, a the, the paper mask that everyone wears. And he doubled it up and he breathed and you could see the air almost as clearly. Then he did that with two cloth masks, but he actually did it with two K95 masks. And the one thing I could say is he went with one and then two. And even with two, when he exhaled, it wasn't as extreme as the cloth one, but you could see the air leaving through the side spaces of the mask, just a little bit less. So I, I guess I would concur with the possibility that the, 
that the K9N95 doesn't suck as much as the other ones, but, <laughs> but like, but it's it, it's so patently obvious. The moment you put it on in your glasses fog, something should go off in your mind that the mask isn't working. But <laughs> well, but it, after it, two years, you're not even allowed to say this. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, I'm laughing because. I went to the store today with my wife, and my glasses did fog up. <laughs> so, you know, and I'm, it's funny because I've seen people cheating with the mask. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, they they sort of let it go down below their nose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> Which, I, they're thinking maybe I'm not breathing through my nose. <laughs> I, I I can't even imagine. I, I think you're using the word thinking uh, <laughs> rather loosely there. Yes. I, I don't imagine. Like I have my own. You know, like the way you described your situation. Like you 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 want to do whatever you can to maintain some level of of personal autonomy and even integrity. And I do the same thing here in New York. It, um, since they've imposed this new mask mandate, if if I go about my day to the regular places that I go to, certain supermarkets or a laundromat or even on the subway, um, first of all, almost everyone on the subway is wearing a mask, but no one is enforcing it. And I've yet to see in the two years of the pandemic, a member of the NYPD enforce the mask rule, which which is, that's a, that could be its own episode right there. But I find that, um, shop owners in my area here in Astoria, Queens, New York City, um, it's it's a 50-50 crapshoot. I can go into a store without a mask and see other people without a mask, sometimes store workers without a mask. And then another store, I will be stopped at the door and, and they'll say, excuse me, so you have to put on a mask. And then I make a decision at that moment whether I feel like wearing a mask because if I don't, then I, maybe I'll go to a different store. But I'm just, it's it's as it, it sounds pathetic, but it's like it's a form of just maintaining some level of independence and autonomy that I know what this charade is, and I'm just not going to submit myself to it. And if I switch stores, that's my only way to, to deal with it. But it is quite telling that that's as far as a protest can go, because almost everyone I know, almost everyone I know in New York City wears a mask, at, at least one mask, and will in give dirty looks or even say something to people who aren't wearing masks. And I think that as you've touched on, this is, this is the real pandemic. The real pandemic is this compliance. It's this caving in, it's creating a, a population that both corporations and the government have like in the palm of their hand, like putty to mold us any way they want. And the, what, what gives me solace is that I do encounter more and more and more and more people beginning to ask questions, even if it's something like, hey, why are my glasses fogging up? And I, I try to focus in that direction because I don't want to speak into existence that this is a momentum we can't turn around. And as a, for me, the, the thing that's scary for me is that uh, I don't know that we really know that this will end this whole um, mandate thing that we wear a mask as if it were the the whole solution to the problem and that the vaccine is the way to go because the vaccine surely works you know there's nothing wrong with that and to question any of that the vaccine getting a vaccine or, or wearing a mask puts you in the realm of some kind of terrible terrible rebellious person who doesn't really care for the neighbor or anybody else you know and that's no, you're right that's really a, a, a just a shame if if 
five years from now, we're still wearing masks. Oh, that, that's horrible to even think about it. I'm going to, to say uh, my confidence is that will not be the case because I do see pe encounter people waking up. And this is, it's fascinating to ponder this, but it ends when people stop complying. It doesn't end when Fauci and the rest of his his uh, science priests priesthood tell us that it's okay because once they have the control, they're not going to surrender it. But they can't enforce masks and vaccines and social distancing across a country this big with this many people if people just stop complying. And I know that it's happening more. There's less compliance in red states. And I'm I feel like um, there will be some influence from um, the, the elections in 2022 because certain people will be able to run on 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 platforms of ending some of this re some of these restrictions, and I um, sit. I'm not saying that I can tell you the logistics of how this will happen, but I am speaking my confidence right now in January of 2022 is that your fear of is this still going to be happening in five years? It, I'm, this could end in five months because more and more people are waking up and asking questions. And that's why we're having this conversation so that people can hear this and ponder, well, what are they talking about? How do I really feel? And the fact that you ask people in stores, like that is major, is to, is to break people out of this, this fog that they're in and in, just encourage them to engage in a friendly conversation. You're not asking them, you're not being judgmental, you're not confronting them. There's a curiosity in you saying, hey, there's no mask mandate. I'm curious, why do you wear a mask? And that that starts a conversation that other people are afraid to have. So I feel the more we talk about it and the more, the more we live out the example of every opportunity we get, we're not complying. I feel that we are headed in a different direction. And I feel I, I don't want to surrender to the sense of like, oh, we're all doomed and it's going to be um, weekly boosters after a while and so on. I, I believe that we are heading in a better direction. It's just hard to see because things are things can feel rather bleak right now. Well, I applaud your your uh, optimism and your confidence that we're, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, I know it didn't work uh, 50 years ago in Vietnam, but maybe it'll work now. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I guess I, I guess I'll take that as a somewhat of a, a lukewarm endorsement. But <laughs> I I I. I think in your own way, your actions are lining you up with me in, in your own way, in the sense that you're constantly asking questions. You're you're refusing to partake in something that you love, like the movie club, because the the compliance has ruined it for you. You're talking to people. You're coming on my show now for the third time. And I feel like that this is something really important each of us can do, that it's within our power to have friendly conversations, to do the homework and learn about it like you like you you know, offer a quote from a medical doctor, like these, having these, being armed with this kind of information and then engaging in conversation, I feel has no downside. And I'm choosing to believe that it is bringing us closer and closer to a, to a breaking point where suddenly more people, like at least more than 50% of the people are asking questions and that type of type of shift, as you know, from, from us history, it could look like nothing's going to change. And then all of a sudden there's this little tipping point and then the momentum shifts in another direction. And I'm going, um, we, we could see it just over the past couple of years. Like you, you couldn't, certainly in, um, 
in 2015, I don't think early 2015, nobody ever could have imagined the whole Make America Great um, movement ending up the way it did. And yet there was this tipping point and suddenly it was it went from being sort of a joke to being unstoppable. And so I know that's an odd comparison to make, but I think I think mechanically it works with that. It could look right now that there's no way to turn this around, but I, I'm optimistic that that we have to keep pushing and keep questioning. And when you hit the tipping point, the momentum shifts because now now the ball's rolling downhill. Okay. <laughs> so as, as we begin to wrap up, for, first of all, thank you as always for being on. But it's a, it's a pleasure to be on with you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you, honestly. And and um, what would you like? What would you like to close? Anything you want? What would you like to close uh, on saying uh, to the listeners who now get to know you? This is your third time on the show, so Uncle Butch has the has the floor. What would you like to say to the post woke listeners? Exactly what you say. Think for yourself. Don't be bullied into accepting the the the, uh, the BS that that uh, we're being fed, uh, resist, resist. And maybe, uh, you know, uh, try to convince other people to resist and start a movement. I believe that uh, planting a seed, planting the seed in this case is just putting a doubt of what, what the government is doing to us and put a doubt in other people's minds so that they too will pass it on and this movement will gain uh, momentum and and get us out of this mess. Well, now I'll, it's my turn to commend you on your optimism. That is that is incredible to hear. And just for the record, you can't say bullshit on post woke. I know you stumbled as you got close to BS. That you it was almost like you were thinking, "Can I say bullshit?" Feel free to say it. You could say it right now if you choose. There we go. <laughs> But uh, thank you, as always. It's a pleasure, and I look forward to having you back on soon. And I really, uh, I just want to emphasize, I, I hope that people enjoy these type of conversations. It's not about agreeing with me or agreeing with my uncle. It's about just understanding that we're coming from a different angle and encouraging you to find your personal angle and go from there and not be kowtowed into following the angles of other people. So thank you for, for being a part of that. I really appreciate it. And I uh, thank you for having me on the show. I'll be right back with my story of the week. But first, a word from our sponsor. We have some cool news here at Post Woke. If you go to the show notes, you will find a link for merchandise, more specifically, a Post Woke Hello Free Thinkers t-shirt for only $19.99. I am requesting that you check it out, that you buy the shirt, that you buy it for others as a gift. You wear it around and you start conversations about this podcast and you spread the word about intellectual self-defense. So again, the link is in the show notes and I really appreciate your support. It's a cool shirt, a cool design, and um, it will be really awesome is if you do order it, please be sure to send me a selfie to the email address that's in the show notes. So I appreciate your support and let's get back to the show. 
And the sign said the words of the prophets are written on the subway wall. Before the interwebs, I believe it required a lot more ingenuity to get noticed. And that's why I conjured up my underground poet scheme in the early 1990s. After purchasing a batch of small stickers, I marked them up with my poems, one-liners, and other provocative writings. Among other things, I was already a published poet by then. Also, a huge art show at the Javits Center. At that show, two of my one-liners were framed and then purchased by a French art dealer. When he compared me to Marcel Duchamp, I swooned and I started planning. I would ride the subways and slap my stickers up here and there, but then it hit me. I could skip a step. Instead of waiting for someone to randomly notice my work and alert the media, I could kind of sort of alert the media myself. With that in mind, I stopped risking arrest, or at least a summons, and focused on a new plan. Because let's face it, there's no need to actually hang poetry when you can just convince the media to report that it's true. Now, my girlfriend at the time, Michelle, was more than happy to help. So I wrote an article about the magnificence of the underground poet and made sure to clarify that someone named Mickey Z was responsible. I put Michelle's name as the byline and mailed it. Yes, snail mail. We mailed it to a handful of large local outlets. Lo and behold, New York Newsday replied almost immediately. Side note, Newsday was once a staple in the five boroughs. Now I believe it's primarily centered on Long Island. Now, the editor of the op-ed page at Newsday at the time, Ken Emerson, called Michelle to say he was very interested in publishing the piece as an op-ed. He just needed to talk with her in person first. It seems his journalistic instincts had him feeling a little skeptical. So I went with Michelle to Newsday's offices on Park Avenue South, but of course I waited outside the building. Their chat was brief. Basically, M Emerson asked, how do I know that you're not Mickey Z? I don't want to be part of a scam. Michelle calmly replied, you're just going to have to trust me. With a deep sigh, Emerson agreed. The piece ran about a week later. Michelle got paid 150 bucks as the author, and the myth of the er uh, underground poet was launched. I used the article to reach out as myself elsewhere, and more press soon followed. Among other outlets, Street News picked up the story, but best of all, the New York Daily News, a rival of New York Newsday, sent a reporter out with me onto the trains to interview me as I hung my work. You might have called me viral if that had already been a thing. For years afterwards, these clips came in handy as I pitched articles, got book deals, pitched scripts and screenplays, and I secured some writing grants and fellowships. A line in my official bio still reads today, quote, in the 1990s, Mickey Z was known as the underground poet for hanging his words in New York City's subterranean tunnels of transportation, close quote. But still, I've always believed I just didn't push it far enough. And in fact, after recently watching documentaries on both Keith Haring and Jean-Michel Basquiat, I can better see that I didn't let myself reap all the rewards and possibilities that were available back then. So in this convoluted age of hashtags, algorithms, and fake news, maybe it's time for a comeback. On that note, I thank you for listening to episode 12. I thank my Uncle Butch for being here, and I urge each and every one of you to participate in Postwoke. Get involved, subscribe, become a paid subscriber, share the links, but most of all, 
keep your guard up. Because a vision softly creeping Left its seeds while I was 